internet has brought about huge changes, and essentially what it's done is it's driven customer expectations way up. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 99. Our guest today is Tema Frank, best-selling author, international speaker, and customer experience strategy consultant. Tema has over three decades of marketing strategy, usability testing, and customer experience development. Her latest book is People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. Good morning, Tema. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you with us today. And Tema, you have a business and a great book that focuses on something that really gets lost occasionally in our fast-paced internals of business. Before we dive into today's topic, let's talk a bit about their past and your career and what inspired you to write the book, People Shock. You know, I've had a varied career over more than three decades now, and I've always really had a focus on the customer and the sort of end user. So I actually started my career as a lobbyist, believe it or not. And so obviously you're very focused on the citizen at that point. Uh, Then I worked in bank marketing for several years and we really tried to position our branches on the basis of customer service. We tried to use that as our differentiator. And then in 2001, I started an internet-based business where we were basically testing all the customer service channels from the website through to call center, through to ordering and having products delivered and returning them. That was called Web Mystery Shoppers. And so I've sort of done all that. And then I also did a little detour at one point and wrote a book about Canada's best employers for women, which really made me very aware of the employee side and how important that is in this whole customer service equation. So People Shock just kind of pulled all those threads together. And how is the customer experience different today and what's changed out there? Well, the internet has brought about huge changes. And essentially what it's done is it's driven customer expectations way up because now we can complain. I mean, it used to be uh, if you were treated not so well, you didn't have a lot of choices. It was harder to make your voice heard except to your immediate friends. And also it was harder to find competitors. Whereas now, thanks to the internet, you can find out what else is out there and access stuff from all over the world. You can complain about it quite loudly and with an impact if you're not happy with the way you're being treated. And we have companies like Amazon, which have just set an incredibly high standard from a customer service point of view. I hate to say on the supplier side to Amazon, it's a whole other story. But but if you're buying from Amazon, they're incredible. And people now expect that level of service from everybody. I like your example of Amazon. I use them as an example myself. And one of the features that I know they have in their meetings and the board meetings is they have an empty chair. Yeah. That chair is to represent the customer. So that was just like, you know, impressive. And I totally agree with you. It's 
quite an experience change in the Amazon environment. They think through so many things ahead of time. So I like what you're saying regarding the empowerment of the customer has grown significantly. The response is instantaneous. So what should business owners and their staffs be looking for that tell them that their customer experience is having a problem and something's brewing? Well, you know, there are a variety of signals and some of them are really obvious. Like if your sales are declining, you know, there's something going wrong. Or if you're getting an increasing level of complaints. But there are also some signals that are a little more subtle. For example, and some of these may not even be showing a problem yet, but they're going to lead to a problem. So for example, if nobody's looking at social media and looking for mentions of your organization in social media on a regular basis and responding to that, you run the risk that somebody's going to blast you and it'll explode and you won't even know about it until it's too late to contain it. So that is one thing. But there are other things as well. If, for instance, you produce physical products and the rate of product defects is increasing, or if production is often delayed because of equipment that needs repairs or missing parts, all those things will spill over ultimately into the customers because they're going to end up having to wait longer. They're going to have more returns, which becomes this vicious circle. You know, customers get upset. They don't want to buy as much. You end up with cash flow problems and it can ultimately destroy your company. Other areas in finance, for instance, if you're behind on sending out invoices or if nobody's tracking and following up on unpaid bills, again, you need cash flow if you want to deliver great customer experience. In human resources, if you're finding that it's harder and harder to attract and keep good people, odds are you've got an employee problem. And if your employees aren't happy, they're not going to be delivering great service to your customers, no matter what. If you find that absenteeism or sick leave have increased, that's also a signal that there's a problem on that side. And then one of my favorite ones, if you look at the leadership of your company, if you find either extreme of either everybody's arguing in your executive team and just can't agree on anything, then that confusion and mixed signal is going to get itself through to your employees and to your customers. So that's a bad sign. But on the other side of that, if nobody is agreeing with the CEO or the owner, that's also a bad sign because that indicates people are afraid to really say what they think. And the fact is, no matter how brilliant a company founder or owner you are, you don't have all the good ideas. You don't know everything. And the whole point of working with others is to find out from them other perspectives. So those are some of the more subtle or less obvious signs that you really need to be paying attention to. Tema, it's interesting how many of these things are internal facing. You know, we're talking about how the customer receives something, yet the signs seem to be within our own organization. Absolutely. And I think that's because in order to deliver great customer service, you've got to have your act together internally. So I talk about the three P's of profit And there's a huge internal component of those. So the first one is what I call the promise, which is essentially your brand. What is it about your organization that differentiates you, that would inspire people to want to work with you, to buy from you? That has a huge internal component as well as an external component. Obviously, you need to communicate to the public what you are and what you stand for. But you also need your employees to buy into that. And the great thing about that is you can't always be there if they need to make a decision. And if you've got a really strong promise that they understand and buy into, 
that gives them a filter for making decisions if they have to make a judgment call and you're not there. The second P is people. And again, there's an internal and an external side there. So getting the human resources, the employee side right, is hugely important. I'm sure McDonald's employees probably smile and say, have a nice day, as they always have. But it doesn't have an impact on us anymore because it's so rare that it comes across as genuine. So the employee side is really important. But also on the people side, there's a whole range of external players that can affect your customer experience. So people like your suppliers or your distributors, or if they, for instance, a supplier runs short on a product and you don't have good relationships with them, you're not going to get it, which means your customers are going to suffer because their products will be delayed. So those external relationships are really important. And in the book, I go through several other categories of external relationships. And then the final P, the third P, is process. And the process is hugely important, but you need to look at that from, okay, what's the customer looking for and expecting? Then you look inside and what are our processes for delivering that and are we doing it well? So every element of those three Ps has a huge internal component. And where do you find that businesses struggle the most? (laughs) To be honest, they struggle in all three categories, but often with smaller businesses, especially those that are really growing, it's often on the process side. Because when you found a business, you do stuff, you just do it and make it happen. And you work crazy hours, but you make things happen. Maybe if you're really advanced, you are actually keeping track of what you're doing. But in a lot of cases, and I know this because I've been there, we aren't keeping track. We're just doing it. And who has time to write down procedures and rules? But as you grow, those processes need to change because what you did at the beginning just isn't sustainable as you sell more and more, as you have more and more employees. You start to need to be able to systematize. And then as you grow up to an even higher level, Even the systems that you had in place when you had, say, five employees may not make sense anymore when you've got 105 employees. So you need to revise those from time to time. One of my favorite examples of that actually was a company where they were a manufacturer and they had a client that they really loved. And this client had been a client forever. And they said, you know, we love working with these guys, but it's so annoying because this part that we have to make for them, before we can ship it to them, we have to punch a hole in the corner. And then in interviews with the company that was buying these parts, they said, you know, we love working with the supplier, but it's so annoying because they keep sending us these parts with a hole punched in the corner and we have to fill it in. (laughs) And it turned out that the need for that hole in the corner dated back to 10 years earlier when they both had different types of equipment but nobody had ever re-examined what they were doing to realize that was, in fact, no longer needed and, in fact, was making things harder for both sides. There was sort of a hole in their process. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Tim, uh, I really like this element of the promise and fortifying the brand. I've noticed with a number of clients that the more they emphasize the promise that the company stands for and what their mission is and what they want to deliver, really brings with the employees and the teams to be able to really be proud of what their product represents or their service represents to the client. How do you see that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact is employees 
when they start with you, they really want to do a good job. They want to make your organization successful. They want to make your customers happy. That is our natural instinct. And if you've lost that, it's going to show in all kinds of ways. And the great thing about a promise is that that can really help inspire employees to do their best. And it's funny because one of the conversations I've had with people is they say, well, you know, my company, we offer something really boring. There's nothing we can do that's going to be inspiring about it. But, you know, we're not trying to cure cancer or something. But even businesses that don't sound inspiring, one of the companies that I profile in the book is Gencoa Janitorial Services. And as Mary Miller, the owner, told me, she said, nobody grows up wanting to be a janitor. So the company was struggling with high employee turnover. That's a real problem in that industry. And they finally realized that their employees were, you know, low-income people. They were struggling to even get to work because they had to get to these high-rise downtown buildings in the middle of the night to clean them when there was no public transit and they couldn't afford cars. So surprise, surprise, employees are often late or they don't show up and they quit as soon as they can. So when Mary and Tony, her husband, when they realized this, they went out and bought a van and called it the Jankoa Shuttle. And for the first few days, Tony was actually the one driving it. And once employees got used to the fact that the boss was driving the van, they went back to their normal chit-chat. But he saw how they lived and he listened to their stories. And he realized these people, not only can they not achieve their dreams, they don't even have dreams. Their lives were pretty bleak. And so he and Mary decided that their mission, their promise was going to be about helping their employees have better lives and helping them have and achieve their dreams, no matter what those dreams might be, whether it was buying a house or buying a car or getting their kids into a better school or whatever those dreams were, they were going to work one-on-one with their employees to help them achieve that. And what they found when they started doing this is employees became so inspired and so motivated because it was clear that their employer cared about them, that the quality of workmanship went way up. They wanted their employer to be successful. They felt proud of where they were working and what they were doing. And turnover rates went way down. So they managed to create something that was truly inspirational, even though it wasn't directly the service that they were providing, but it had a huge positive impact on the service they were providing. Tama, can you give us examples of how they actually implemented that? Yeah. So for one thing, they actually literally hired a person who they called the dream manager. And that person, whenever there is a new employee, goes and meets with them and says, tell me about your life. Tell me about what's going on in your life, what you would love to be able to do, you know, what you're hoping for from this job, and just getting to know them a bit and staying in touch with them on a regular basis, wandering around the shop floor or whatever, chatting with people and getting to be comfortable with them. But they've had their dream manager do things like go to immigration hearings to help make sure that people get to stay. I remember one case they talked about where somebody was trying to buy a car, but barely spoke English, let alone was able to negotiate. And so the dream manager went along and managed to push for a really good deal for that employee. So it can be, you know, little things, but it has a huge impact. A lot of it will be helping them get to social resources and social supports within the community, things that a hardworking, exhausted person might not even know exist. 
And I think it's interesting, again, how this became an internal promise made to the employees, which really ended up ultimately translating into this really great service experience for the customers. Exactly. We've got to stop treating employees as though they were pieces of machinery. You know, we're getting to the point where more and more jobs are being done by robots and computers. And if you have human employees, you want to take advantage of the skills that humans have that robots don't, or else there's no point. If you're going to treat me the way a robot would, I might as well deal with the robot. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And we've done a number of interviews on how the workplace is changing out from under all of us. Yep. And employees have a lot more choices now. We all have a lot more choices as people. And I agree. I think recognizing that humanity and finding better ways to deploy it and better ways to support it can really be an incredible competitive advantage. Absolutely. And I mean, really, that was kind of what underlay my book is I'm a huge believer in the power of people. But I also am a bit of a techno fan, and I believe that it's important that you use technology to do what it does best. But as more and more is done by the technology, the smaller amount that's left for human-to-human contact becomes exponentially more important. And so you've really got to get both pieces of that equation right. Tim, in your business, you help business leaders discover what needs improvement within their companies regarding the customer experience. What's a typical engagement look like? Well, typically, the first thing I would do is go in and meet with the senior executive and find out what are their concerns about what's going on? What do they think is going well? What do they think is going not so well? A lot of it has to do with that initial research within the organization. The second stage is doing customer research. And that means actually going out there, talking to customers, talking to past customers, and finding out why did you leave with the current customers, finding out what do you like, what do you not like, getting some of that insight that it's often hard for a company to get for two reasons. One is often we're kind of afraid to actually ask those questions of our customers. And also, if we've got good personal relationships with them, they don't want to hurt our feelings. So they don't want to tell you what is really going wrong that they're not so happy about. And most customers, in fact, if they're unhappy, they won't complain. They'll just move and go to another supplier. So having those conversations is really important. And sometimes having an outsider do that digging can get you better information. And then from there, once we know what's really important to the customers, then we sit down and look at, okay, what are we doing? What are our processes? How do those align with delivering what the customers really want? And how can we fine tune things and improve things to make them work more smoothly, both for the customers and internally for our employees? And the great thing is that usually that process will end up resulting in cost savings to the company because invariably you find there are all kinds of inefficiencies going on and you can make things more efficient, which makes employees happier and customers happier. Tim, when it comes to social media, how can businesses be addressing some of the ups and downs of social media? Yeah, it's kind of a terrifying thing for a lot of businesses because people now turn to reviews and there are reviews for pretty well every product category you could imagine now in every service category. So even, you know, home construction people or plumbers or whatever, there are online sites that people go to to find out, is this guy any good or not? And the scary thing is a couple of things. One is we know those systems sometimes are gamed. 
Now, companies like Yelp and stuff, they're constantly working on trying to crack down on it and spot the fake reviews. But you do run that risk. And of course, there's always going to be an unhappy customer. Somebody is going to write something or say something negative about you. The key to managing that is, first of all, staying on top of it. So making sure that you have alerts set up so that your phone is going to ring you or somebody in your company immediately if there's a mention of you in social media so that you can respond quickly. Because the faster you respond, the lower the risk to you. The second thing is don't get defensive. It's so tempting to get your back up. And especially if you know that what they're saying isn't fair or it's wrong, but getting defensive isn't going to help you. And in fact, it it can potentially kill your organization. You just can't do that. So what you want to do when you see a complaint online is you want to, first of all, acknowledge that you've seen it and you understand they're frustrated and you're sorry to hear that. Your goal is to get them offline as soon as possible. So you want to say, look, we're really sorry that this experience happened to you. Could you please contact me and let's discuss this and figure out what we can do to solve it for you? So the advantage, if you can get it offline, is twofold. One is you don't get this nasty debate going on in public. The other is you're not setting precedence for other people. If you just publicly say, yeah, okay, we'll give you uh, 10 free widgets, then other people might start wanting 10 free widgets. So you want to try and get the solution a little bit offline, but you want to show online that you care. Now, if they refuse to go offline and they just keep bitching about you, then you respond twice, politely, calmly, both times. And if you're still not getting anywhere, then say something like, you know, I'm really sorry that we don't seem to have been able to satisfy you. If you ever decide you would like to talk about it, here's how you can reach me, but there's not much point us continuing here. If you do that in that calm, reasonable way, people online aren't going to blame you. They're going to see the other person as the crazy one, not you. And so just stay calm and deal with it rationally. Well, thank you for joining us today, Tema. We truly enjoyed our time with you. I've really enjoyed being here. It's always fun for me to talk about this stuff. (laughs) And you do so well. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. Before I forget, I just want to say I've got a special offer for you. Uh, We are headed into the holiday season, which is often when a lot of the biggest buying decisions are made. And a lot of small businesses have some pretty serious mistakes on their websites that often they're really not aware of. So I've put together a book that has 85 sort of common usability or user experience mistakes on websites and what you can do instead. And I'd like to offer that free to your listeners. They can get that by going to frankreactions.com forward slash people, and they can download the offer there. Beyond that, something that your listeners might find useful, obviously, if they're listening to this, they get the concept of podcasts. So if you're interested in a podcast that focuses specifically on customer experience, they might want to check out the Frank Reactions podcast, which of course is available on all the usual places, iTunes, Stitcher, and and on the website. And if they're interested in getting a copy of the book, People Shock the Path to Profits When Customers Rule, they can find that on Amazon. And of course, they can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter, just at Tema Frank, T-E-M-A-F-R-A-N-K, or they can email me, Tema, T-E-M-A, at frankreactions.com. Our guest today has been Tema Frank. You can learn more about Tema 
as well as find links to her book on 85 Common User Experience Mistakes on Websites, her podcast, and copy of her new book, all in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by Align for Business, provider of business consulting and executive coaching. That's aligned, the number four, business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.